0: I've always loved to write. I started writing um, in my early teens, writing poetry a lot. It was, it was really my saving grace.
1: Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. I'm your host, Kim O'Hara, a book coach with a story inside, and I am interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life with a story to tell. Do these folks have a best-selling book in them? Stick around and find out. I met Dr. Erica Holmes at an intimacy and trauma workshop, and I was blown away by her ability to make a group of strangers on Zoom feel incredibly vulnerable and willing to share about such a potent topic. And I also know that she works with um, a group of people that are disenfranchised, uh, families and individuals that a lot of you know psychologists will not take on that challenge. And I really appreciate that about her. She's written a book, she's writing a book, and today we're going to talk about her because I love to talk about people and their stories. And we're going to talk a little bit about intimacy
0: and trauma. It's so good to have you here today. Thank you so much, Cam, for inviting me. I'm so excited for our time together. So I
1: read on your website that you grew up in a little town in the South, and I've worked with some people that have grown up in little towns in the South, and they had a hunch very early they had to get out. Did you have that same experience?
0: Well, in actuality, moving to Los Angeles, where I currently am, actually was the brainchild of my mother. So she actually brought uh, my brother and I here uh, in our late childhood, early adolescence. And so she had that desire and urge to get out of the town. Uh, It was it was really too small for her personality. And so
1: (laughs) (laughs) why does that not surprise me knowing you?
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And so that's actually the way that we um, came to Los Angeles. And have been here ever since. I still go back and visit my family because uh, a large portion of my family are still there. But uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to visit. I wouldn't want to live there though, right? (laughs) To visit.
1: (laughs) So trauma, tell me about the trauma in your story. Uh, Is there trauma? How do you connect with folks? Uh,
0: Usually there is some kind of seed there. Right. And so- the trauma that I experienced is a little different from the traumas that people are used to, to hearing about and talking about. My trauma actually stems from that migration from the small southern town where I was born and coming to Los Angeles. And the trauma is actually what we call attachment trauma. And so um, being born in uh, the the town is Camden, Arkansas, into a multi-generational household with my grandparents, my mother is one, was the oldest of nine children, and my father is the second oldest of 10. So I was born into a very large, very close-knit family on both sides. And so I had many, many caregivers and, you know, many, many people who were rocking me and lapping me and, you know, letting me snuggle up to them. And my mother decided to move us to Los Angeles. The first, the initial move actually came when I was very little, when I was five. And I had no concept at five of distance, of location. All I knew was I came from this huge extended family who all loved on me to my mother my older brother and I being in the city, the big city with no other family and no other friends, my mother, knew no one. And I could, I didn't understand why couldn't I see my grandmother? Why couldn't I see my grand? Why couldn't I see my cousins? You know, growing up in the South is very, very different than growing up in the inner city of Los Angeles. It wasn't even as if we were in the suburbs, right? So in, in Arkansas, I could play outside, Past the streetlights, there were no streetlights, right? Until the, right. the lightning bugs came out. And so it was very, very difficult for both my brother and I. And as a result, my mother actually sent us back to our family. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she stayed here, but it was that was so difficult. My mother sent us back uh, to my grandparents and uh, we stayed there visiting her here until my grandmother became sick, which is a story of, of many people who've migrated from the the South. And uh, so we went back and forth. And so then as I got older, my grandmother became ill and she passed away. And so we relocated here. But I didn't understand, of course, that was, you know, 1970s. No one talked about trauma, much less the trauma of losing attachment figures or your loved ones to right. distance. You know, it was a
1: buck up time. Exactly, it was buck up and and do what you need to do to survive. And what's interesting is, until I met you, I hadn't really thought about the loss of when everybody in my family suddenly died and got divorced in like a felt swoop. You know, it started with my grandmother dying of pancreatic cancer and everybody just fell in line after that. And I remember that feeling of like, everybody's gone. Yeah. Everybody's gone. And you carry that with you and it like, it changes and it morphs. But I do feel like if you don't address it, it can turn into a, a strange thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Very much so there because we, and what, I mean, think about how you internalize that felt sense of everybody is gone. You know, people you internalize, people leave, right? Your right. story becomes I'm alone and I have to do it for myself because people leave, people don't stay. Um, and that has a way of kind of permeating multiple aspects of your life and also your relationships, whether they're intimate you know, um, romantic relationships or even friendships. It, it shapes the way that we choose to be vulnerable or in relationship with people if they're not going to be there. right? Right.
1: Absolutely. The trust and the intimacy. Now the, the, the families that you work with, um, what are typically some of their challenges that you experience?
0: So generally I work with, um, Families who have histories of trauma, trauma within their family system, are, you know, it could be individuals, it could be families. So many of them have unresolved childhood trauma if I'm working with adults. So there was some uh, traumas that occurred in their childhood, whether it's sexual abuse, physical abuse, some neglect that were parts of their childhood, maybe repeating in adulthood in domestic violence or interpersonal violence uh, situations. Um, Many of them are experiencing community violence because I work in under-resourced, marginalized communities. So experiences of, of community violence and also intergenerational racial violence as well, or trauma that's Mm. permeated uh, because of their social cultural history in the United States. So various forms of trauma, but the majority of the folks, the families, the individuals that I work with, they're dealing with complex trauma, meaning that the trauma occurred, has occurred over a long period of time versus a single incident trauma, such as I was mugged on the street one time. Right. Yeah. Right. Most of them have long histories.
1: It's deeply embedded.
0: Yes. So, you know,
1: one of the biggest hurdles is obviously our relationships that we have romantically. And you wrote a book about dating. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in terms of like, for people that have had trauma and they are having a hard time finding intimacy with a romantic partner, what were three of the strongest? paths that you found that they could take to start to soften the desire to put up fences. Are you an aspiring author burning to write a book? We would love to help you at A Story Inside. Head over to astoryinside.com. That's a s t. O R Y inside.com, where you can receive surefire tips, my weekly newsletter, and an opportunity to speak with me about going from desire to yes with that book. Time is of the essence people. And now back to our great guest.
0: So a lot of times, as you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation, it's a buck up time. So, so often, right? We minimize the impact of those harmful events in our life. So take stock and assess how is this trauma continuing to live in my body, in my soul, in my, you know, cognitive ideas about who people are. So the first powerful tool is taking stock of that. And also an area that we don't talk about uh, in relation to the impact of trauma is how trauma impacts our emotional selves. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes we find that people who have experienced trauma have kind of a bifurcated emotional reaction when they are triggered or something is frightening and when you've been hurt in relationships, relationships become frightening. So they could be a trigger, right? That right. They are, the, the reaction will be bifurcated, meaning that they may go completely numb and just shut down or they become hyper reactive and they respond on a 10. So take stock. That's the first thing that I would suggest. The second thing that I would suggest is That you begin to develop relationships with a self-other. So connecting with another person who might be considered safe. That could be someone who might be in a role of a therapist, if not a therapist, someone who offers a mentor, someone who offers support, someone who has been very supportive and encouraging and validating. So find a girlfriend, a girlfriend, thing, a girlfriend in the recovery community. Exactly. Exactly. Who has been supportive and validating. Those two things are really, really important. Okay. Um, supportive you, and
1: validating. Exactly, is important, Right.
0: Exactly. Of you. Um, because you don't want to kind of create a situation where you can be re-traumatized by someone who's not safe. Right. And then the third thing that I would say is to practice self-compassion and self compassion is this idea of being kind to ourselves remembering that there's common humanity meaning that we are humans humans are fallible and also sometimes life is stinky and it's okay we're not alone right <laughs> we're part right. of we're part of life and being kind to ourselves so when we make a mistake or we don't react in the way that we believe that we should have Or there was an opportunity to be vulnerable with somebody to test it out and we didn't take it. We can be self-critical, right? We can say, oh, you should have. This is why you don't have. No, be kind. What would you say to your friend if they told you this had happened? Generally, we're going to be kind and supportive and say, you'll get it next time. I'm glad that you recognize. So practice that with ourselves. And then the third prong of of self-compassion is mindfulness remembering Mm -hmm. to be in the moment, what is happening in the here and now not relying so heavily on the past and not projecting into the future, but what's happening now. Am I safe now? You know, is this person, you know, treating me Mm -hmm. well now? Uh, so those are, those are the things that I would say. Self-reflection, beginning to connect with others. I call that testing the waters And then practicing self compassion, being kind and non judgmental and forgiving to ourselves. And I think what people don't
1: realize is they want the dating book that's gonna tell them how to go on the date or how to dress or how to hold off for your man or your woman or whatever your preference is. And let me tell you, I've read them all and they don't work until you do what you just talked about. And we'll just keep repeating the pattern. And then you have to look at yourself. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I've dated a a string of emotionally unavailable people. So then you go, oh God, I can't, I got to stop dating unemotional people. And then you're like, or maybe I'm not emotionally available. Mm -hmm. That's the hard, so why am I not emotionally available? Well, who wants to be emotionally available with themselves when that self is beating you up all the time? They're like, I don't like you. I don't want to have a relationship with you. So it's such a crazy process, you know. And so I I can't wait to get your book and read it. And you're writing another book. We talk about books on this show. Tell me about you as a
0: writer. I've always loved to write. I started writing um, in my early teens, writing poetry a lot. It was it was really my saving grace when dealing with, again, being in L.A., alone without family, going through, you know, adolescence. And, and so I began to write poetry, and that was in the mid-80s, right? And then that poetry turned into, oh, I want to they have a rap career cuz Queen Latifah was big right so i'm going to take this poetry <laughs> I and remember set it that. To music, right and set it to music and my mother was like no you shall go to school uh, and so i have always always written my mother actually when she started college was an english major so reading and writing were always a part of our household and you know and um, and then as i became a, an, an early adult there were no kind of role models in my community where I saw writing as a career, right? I didn't Mm. see writing as a career and uh, growing up in the communities where I grew up in, it was really important to have a career to support yourself and to support your family. And so I moved away from writing and pursued academics and and all of that and became a mother and and just life. And um, three years ago, my son went away to college and he's still currently in college, uh, preparing to graduate. But that became the the kind of opening for me to get back to what I love, which is why I sat down and, and wrote the first book, Dating with Purpose, right? A Single Woman's Guide to Escaping No Man's Land. Really integrating my years of experience as a psychotherapist doing, you know, work in the human services field into this book so that it wasn't just a book about this is how you get a, a man or a or, or woman or whoever, this is not how you go get them. And this is how you dress. No, really saying what is that that I do with the clients that I work with? It starts mm-hmm. with self-reflection and knowing yourself. And now moving into the second book where the first book, there's one chapter on trauma, but the entire book is focused on self-reflection and knowing who you are so that you can take that person into your dating relationships. And the second book that I'm currently writing is focused solely on trauma Okay. And, right. Really now integrating my love of writing with my professional self as a therapist, as a licensed psychologist and working with, with people over the last 20 years. Amazing.
1: I love it. I mean, that books are the best way for us to get the message out and get it widely, widely spread out. Um, I wanted to ask you one last question uh, sure. before we wrap, and I could sit and talk to you for hours about this topic. Where does tough love come in? I mean, every once in a while, have you given out a little bit of a dose of that in your you know, th- therapy practice where you finally said to someone, enough, it's time to move on?
0: Honestly, in therapy, there are a few techniques that we can use to help folks to recognize that pattern and then decide to do something different or decide to do more of it. So sometimes we'll prescribe the problem. So it's like, oh, okay, well, why don't instead of doing that three times this week, I want you to do it six. Do more uh-huh. of it, right, so prescribe <laughs> the problem, which creates this kind of conundrum for the person, where they can begin to recognize, like, this is so unhealthy, and no, it's not fun. But I am very much a straight shooter, and so I am often, you know, put in a position in therapy where I'm challenging motivation, right? Mm-hmm. People's motivations, their internal motivations, and kind of talking about it, but also not couching it in the perspective of a deficit within the person, but really helping the person to explore what are the benefits? Because you have to be getting something out of this in order to continue to do it. So what are the positive benefits? What are the benefits that you're getting from being X or doing Y? Although we know that there are, there are costs to you doing that. But there's something that it is feeding in you. And so let's try to identify that so that we can find something else to help feed that part so that you don't need this unhealthy, unhelpful behavior anymore. That's a great
1: explanation. And I I can tell you from experience what they're avoiding. They're avoiding not wanting to feel uncomfortable. Right. Right. Because that low level, uncomfortable, but that's the gateway. That's the gateway to freedom as far as I'm concerned. Well, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us. Thank you so much.
0: This has been great. And anytime, I can't wait to talk to you again
1: you've been listening to. You should write a book about that. If you enjoyed our episode, tell a friend to listen, subscribe or review on iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, Spotify, and Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts.